Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast all about books. My name is Tracy Thomas, and I am your host here. Uh, Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you to every single person who's subscribed to the podcast, who's downloaded a single episode or more, who's rated or reviewed us. It means so much and we really appreciate it. Um, If you've yet to do that, if you have a second, it goes a really long way. So please rate or review or subscribe or download or all of the above. Um, I'm very excited this week. Our guest is Sarah Fong. She is a PhD candidate in American Studies. Her work focuses on the United States and their practices of social welfare, particularly as they relate to both the histories of slavery and colonization. As you'll see this week, Sarah is very passionate about social justice, equality, and using reading as a way to learn about others and in turn affect change in the world. I'm very excited to have Sarah on this week, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello and welcome to The Stacks. This is Tracy Thomas, your host, and I am joined today by my good friend, Sarah Fong, who is a genius. And also, in addition to that, she is also a PhD student at the University of Southern California, and she studies in the American Studies Department. Um, That's the extent of my knowledge. So Sarah, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Introduce yourself. Tell them about you. Yeah. So uh, my name is Sarah Fong. Like you said, I am a, I was born and raised in Berkeley, California. I am half Chinese. Um, and I, what's the other half, the other half, the other half is a mix of various European white things, white things. (laughs) Uh, My mom is uh, a mix of German, English and other, other things that I actually don't quite recall. Okay. That's fair. Um, so yeah, I am working on my PhD in American studies. I am in now my fifth year, mm-hmm. almost at the end of my fifth year with about a year left to go. So it'll be a, hopefully a total of six years uh, to finish this degree. <sighs> yeah. Long time. Uh, I'm in the middle of writing my dissertation right now. So I spend most of my day writing. Um, a couple of years ago, I did spend most of my day reading, so it'll be interesting to talk with you about that sort of shift in what this process has been like. 
And what is your dissertation on? Yeah, I'm writing my dissertation uh, about the history of social welfare in the United States. And I'm particularly interested in the relationship between ideas of social welfare and the history of slavery and settler colonization in the United States. So I'm looking at the ways that um, ideas of care, particularly care uh, on the part of the state, has been used to... um, sort of manage what have been seen as the problems of African-American and Native American communities in the United States. So I'm looking at the sort of complicated relationship between state care, race, uh, settler colonial violence. Um, all the good stuff. All of the good stuff. So yeah. when we talk about like the state care, yeah. that like foster care mm-hmm. or like mental institutions or yeah. – It can be a lot of those things. My interests really started out with the foster care system. Um, I threw out undergraduate and a little bit after I finished my bachelor's degree, I have worked with organizations that worked with foster kids. Um, And, you know, through that work and through the little bit of research that I was doing at that time, I I came to learn that African-American and Native American youth are overrepresented in the foster care system. So that means that there are more uh, more African American and Native American youth in foster care than than their general proportion in the general population, okay. right? And so I was sort of interested in why that was the case. Um, and when I started graduate school, I decided to do my dissertation on that and to look at what is the relationship of these sort of government programs around the care of children and why they target African American and Native American youth more heavily than other populations. Um, and my, you know, in sort of asking myself this historical question, I kept going further and farther back <laughs> into history because uh, I couldn't really find the answers that I was looking for. And so I've ended up where I am doing a dissertation that looks at um, federal, federally funded institutions, uh, educational institutions uh, after the Civil War. So I'm doing research about the, you know, from the late, I'm sorry, the mid-1800s to the early <laughs> Early early 1900s. 1900s. Thank you. I also am writing this dissertation. Yes. Spoiler. Tracy is so helping me. So what's the answer? If we yeah. were going to read your one sheet mm-hmm. on this paper, this is probably the hardest question you're going to have to answer yeah, today. right. <laughs> Sarah's eyes just got like, don't ask me this, you asshole. Um, what's the answer? Why? Why? I think for me, what, I, what I'm finding in my research is I think that um, – in American history, African-American people and Native American people have constantly and consistently been viewed as problems mm-hmm. uh, for the nation mm-hmm. and that there is a, a certain sort of benevolent strain of thought that says, you know, we're going to provide care for people and it's our responsibility to provide care for people. But in articulating that that responsibility for care, there has been a consistent um, reproduction of the idea that black and native peoples are problems, right? We Mm -hmm. have to care for them because they are a problem. Right. Um, And so it's sort of, um, I think that there's a way that this idea of care presents itself as kind and as giving, but is uh, reproduces the idea that these populations are problematic. And so I'm sort of trying to tease out the ways that that has presented itself historically. Okay. That's amazing. So I'm asking the question that everybody wants to know. When you're done and you walk across the stage in your ridiculous, like, puffy hat and, like, whatever, <laughs> cape, your, like, color, your Harry Potter yeah. cape, mm-hmm. you turn this into a book. Yeah, I hope. And then we all get to read the book. Mm-hmm. And then – but do you have to dumb it down for normal people or does it stay super academic? 
It's a good question. Um, I could try to go either way. Um, And, you know, there's some people who do try to cross over to, you know, sort of a more popular reading market. Um, And there are people who sort of refuse to do that. Um, I would like to write a book uh, and a dissertation that that the average reader can read. That's not something that's inaccessible for people. Um, Because I see the reason I'm doing this work is because I want to be able to affect my little bit of change, right? To have Mm -hmm. some influence, hopefully, um, on a system that affects people's lives every day in very sort of immediate ways. And I think that if I write a book that is inaccessible to people who don't have their PhDs and who don't, you know, spend all of their day reading and writing, that's not really useful, right? right? I want to write something that... um, that anyone can read, even if it's maybe a little bit challenging, but that will still be, um, you know, palatable for the average reader. And then one day it will be a Stacks book club pick and I we'll have so. you back and we'll talk about it. Okay. Call me in 10 years. Yes. <laughs> Great. We'll be here. Um, okay. Amazing. I don't want to talk all about your work because like, let's have fun, but I have a few more work questions. Yeah. One of my work questions is you talked about switching from reading a ton to writing a ton. Yeah. What is writing like? Writing is very challenging. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really, really hard. Understatement of the year. Yeah. Um, so the first three years that I was in graduate school, I was taking classes. And so most of that was reading. Um, and that was a challenge, too. I had to learn to read in a very different way. I've always been a reader in right. my life. I've, you know, I remember uh, as a kid reading a lot. My parents would read to us. I, you know, So I've always been a reader. But going to grad school, I had to learn to process information very quickly. We were reading about three books a week. Mm -hmm. Um, So, which is like, it's actually impossible. People say that they read three books a week and that doesn't actually mean they read every word on every page, but you do have to be able to sort of uh, synthesize and process like everything in the book, right? So there's a certain kind of reading that I had to learn to do. Um, And then once I finished my coursework and started working on my dissertation, now I write every day. And I write, um, hopefully, four to six hours a day if (laughs) I can. That's on a really good day, and it's rare that I write that much a day. But I do, you know, I wake up in the morning, and uh, the first thing that I do is I sit down and write. Because that's when my mind is the most clear and the ideas uh, come to me the most easily. If I I get into doing other things, then I... um, you know, I get distracted. Um, so I write first thing in the morning and I have a little bit of a, I think, strange writing process. Um, I oftentimes have to write by hand for the ideas to come to me. (laughs) Right. It's crazy. So I'm I'm basically trying to write a book by hand, um, because a dissertation is essentially the length of a book. I'm aiming for like 200 to 250 pages. And do you use like a quill pen or like you're not fully in the 1800s? Not totally. I mean, the research is in the 1800s, but the pen is from 2018. Strong big. Yeah, it is. Actually, it's right here. Um, It's truly, it's just a classic black big. Yep. It is. Um, And I, you know, I often have like a ink ink on my pinky um, because I'm writing so much. So I write by hand because I find that when I'm sitting at my computer, the ideas just don't flow. I'm not sure what it's about, but there's something about the physical act of writing that the ideas come to me more easily. So I'll write by hand a couple of pages and then I'll type it up. Um, and I sort of go through this cycle of writing by hand, typing it up, printing it out, marking up the printout, rewriting it by hand, typing it up again. It seems really ridiculous as I'm Mm -hmm. doing it, but it, and it seems like it 
takes a long time, but it's either that or I sit in front of my computer like and just stare screen. at it. Yeah. Got it. So, it, you know, if I'm going to get anything done, this seems to be the way for me to do it. Right. And Sarah is on uh, Team Tea. She's a tea drinker. Yep. So just FYI, if you're keeping track, Sarah's on Team Tea with me, the rest of you, Helens, coffee drinkers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So I love ethnic studies. Like that's something that I'm passionate about also. Mm -hmm. But if someone wasn't, let's say, and they wanted to kind of do like an intro to ethnic studies, like what would be a book or an author or something that you might recommend to them Mm -hmm. to kind of dip their toe? Yeah. I think um, one of the people who – one of the authors who really sort of drew me into ethnic studies and sort of set me on this path to um, getting my PhD in American studies – Uh, which is, you know, similar to ethnic studies in some ways. And we can talk about that if that is relevant later. But um, Frantz Fanon is probably one of the most influential authors for me in my journey into, you know, this sort of academic field of ethnic studies. So there's two books that come to mind. One is Black Skin, White Masks, and the other is The Wretched of the Earth. Um, Those were two books that really, for me, made me realize, oh, this this is a field that I want to learn more about. Um, and that, you know, that was when, when I was in undergrad, when right. I was, you know, figuring out what I was going to major in. I took an ethnic studies class, read these two books, was really blown away, um, and then read them again actually after I graduated from college. And I was still so moved by them that that's actually what part of what helped me decide that I wanted to go to graduate school. Oh, I took so a couple cool. of years off um, after graduating and worked, you know, a regular nine to five and kept thinking about grad school. And I, I went back to these two books, read them again and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. Okay. That's awesome. And those are just generally about ethnic studies. Yeah. So Franz Fanon, he talks a lot about, um, the sort of post-colonial condition in the Antilles. So Mm -hmm. he's looking at, you know, African descended people in the West Indies and what, and also, uh, he also participated in the Algerian liberation struggle. Uh Um, and so he, those books are talking about, you know, what the experience for people who have been colonized and racialized um, is like, right? So he's looking at the sort of psychological impacts. He's looking at the political impacts and how people respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really spoke to me. That's awesome. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last Three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Sarah, obviously you read a ton for work and for what you do, but I also want to talk about what you read for pleasure because here's a true fact about Sarah. Sarah is the reason that I got on Goodreads. <laughs> Sarah was like, oh, we were living together in New York. And she was like, oh, we read a lot. Like, we're both such loser nerds. And I was like, yeah, we are. Totally. We're so cool. Um, and she was like, you should get on this app. Like, my mom and my sister and I are on it. So I got on Goodreads. And it was literally you, your sister Katie, and your mom. And I feel like your mom's name on Goodreads originally was Mom. Probably. I, like, so I was like, oh, you're friends with three people. I was like, Sarah, Katie, and Mom. Mom. And I was like, this is amazing. But it's true. Sarah's been like a reading pioneer from before. This was also like in 2008 or nine. I want to say. It was like a long time ago before anybody had Goodreads. And now everyone has Goodreads. Trailblazer. I guess I'm a trendsetter. Yeah, you're a trailblazer. I didn't realize that. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, okay. So tell me about two books that you love. Um, one book that I love, so one book I love is, um, an autobiography, Grace Lee Boggs. Uh, okay. she wrote a book called Living for Change. And I actually, I've known about Grace Lee Boggs and her work for a long time. She was a social activist. She also got her PhD, but really didn't pursue academia. She went into, um, into sort of activism and organizing work. Um, and I'd known about her for a long time, but I actually hadn't read her autobiography until just last year. Mm. Um, the book is called Living for Change. And it's really an incredibly, for me, inspiring story about how somebody who is in academia can use their knowledge at sort of the ground level and in their everyday life to actually sort of work for the changes that they are studying or work mm. to change the problems that they're studying. Um, and she has an incredible ability to sort of trace these like massive historic, you know, mm-hmm. eras and movements and also understand the daily lives of people and the way that these sort of historical patterns impact people in their daily lives. So I think that's a really wonderful book. Yeah, because it takes the practicality of like the work and the research and yeah. all of that and or takes all the academic part and turns it into yeah. something that's tangible, yes. not just for academics, but also right. for regular people. Right. Like gives like what you were saying about why 
you want your book to maybe be on the more of the pop side mm-hmm. is that you want to affect change with the work because why learn all this stuff if it's not accessible for people? So that's really awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the other thing is that her historical knowledge sort of points to the intractability of a lot of the problems that we face, right? She looks at race, gender, class, and all of the, you know, many uh, inequalities that that we live with based on those categories. But she is um, deeply hopeful mm. that that we can change those things, even as she clearly points out how, how, bad, it how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's your second one? Um, the other one, this is a bit more academic, but it's just something that I really love and, um, you know, continues to inspire me in my work. It's called The Intimacies of Four Continents. It's okay. written by Lisa Lowe. And this is a, it's a sort of historical text where she looks at the connections between um, Western Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Americas historically to sort of understand this sort of global flows of people, of ideas, um, and of sort of power struggles, right? So she looks at how, um, you know, Europe rose to power in relation to slavery in the Americas and colonization in the Americas. And I think it's a sort of, it is definitely an academic text. It's not the easiest thing to read, but it's a really beautiful sort of weaving together of histories that we think of as very separate Mm -hmm. um, and sort of, for me, helps me understand how deeply connected the world is at, uh, you know, at a historical level. Right. That's awesome. Um, Also, just a heads up for everybody listening, I will be linking to all of these books in the show notes so you don't have to take notes with a pen, a Bic like Sarah. (laughs) Um, Okay. What's what's a book you don't like or you hate? Yeah. A book I hate. Um, I read in high school Moby Dick Oh, and I hated it. <laughs> I, I don't think I fully understood it then, sure. but I remember having a really visceral dislike for it. And I, as I think about it now, like I still feel that feeling of just being like, no, thanks. no, thank you. Like uninterested, <laughs> really frustrated with it. Um, so I don't know. Sometimes I think I should go back and see if maybe there was something I missed, but I really hated that book. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a go back and reread something I didn't like person. That's all, That book's like, what, like three pages or? It's like hugely long. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah, right. It's right. huge. Okay. What's the last great book you read? Um, the last great book I read is called A Brief History of Seven Killings. <gasps> yes. I yes. read that. It's wonderful. It's um, also a little bit of a difficult read, not because it's like very academic or, or deeply intellectual, but it, um, is written in a lot of, uh, what's the word? Dialect. Dialect. Yeah. yeah. So it's set in Jamaica. It's looking at this sort of, it revolves around the assassination attempts on Bob Marley, but he is not actually the central figure. It looks at like everybody else mm, around. Right. And they don't even use his name. They call him the singer. Yes. Which I singer, thought was which wonderful. Which is awesome. Yeah. Which is so great. And it's by Marlon James and it won the man Booker in 2015 or 16. Yeah. I want to say two Two man bookers ago. Yeah, it was pretty recent. It's a wonderful book. I think it's a great story. And it also indirectly taught me a lot about Jamaican history and mm-hmm. the sort of involvement of the US right. CIA in Jamaican politics. Yeah, no, I, I read that book and I felt the same way. It was really challenging though. Mm-hmm. I definitely was like, what is happening? Because some of the dialects are just like, it's all a like a pot, what are they? Not apothecaries, <laughs> apostrophe, apostrophe. Yes, <laughs> super smart. Um, okay, what are you currently reading? I am currently reading um, two books, actually, one sort of for pleasure and one for um, work. 
Uh, the one I'm reading for pleasure is called The Color of the Land by David Chang. Um, and that is looking at um, the p historical period of statehood in Oklahoma and the way that um, land law <laughs> was tied to uh, racial categories for black, white, and indigenous peoples. And so this is sort of background material for my, a part of my dissertation that I'm writing. That's the one with the map on the cover? Mm -hmm. All right, I've yep. seen that one. Yep. And then... Um, the book I'm reading for pleasure right now is We Were Eight Years in Power by mm. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, not exactly light reading, but compared to some of the other things I'm reading, it is. Um, and I, I really am enjoying that because I like how he talks about himself as a writer. It's so cool. Yeah. I'm not a writer and I love it. So I can imagine for a writer, it's like he talks about his evolution and like he talks shit about his writing. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm like, yes, you're not perfect even though you're perfect. Right. It's so, it's very, I feel like it's very truthful about himself and it's interesting to watch his evolution as a writer through these eight essays and also his sort of look back at himself and sort of reflecting on what was going on with him, what was going on in the United States at that point. So I'm loving reading that. And what year are you in right now? Do you know? Do you remember? I think I just finished year four. So going into year five. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting. He writes for the Atlantic and these are all articles that were published in the Atlantic in the eight years. And the first like four take up like a quarter of the book and then he kind of gets famous or like gets acclaim and they start to really trust him. And all of a sudden you're looking at some chapters are like a hundred pages and you're like, yo, like not really a hundred. It's like, it goes from being like a five page yeah. essay to being like 20 book pages or like 40 book pages. And it's just, that's interesting in and of itself to see him getting success through his writing as you're reading the essay. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you can read multiple books at once, which you learned. Yeah, I learned school. to do that. I didn't used to do that. Um, before I started grad school, I really was a, a one-book pony, yeah. as you say. Trademark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but now, um, because I have to read so much, I do read more than one book at a time. And I'm trying to make sure that one of the books that I'm reading is something for myself and not yeah. just for my work. Especially because you don't have to read for work as much anymore. Yeah. And how do you pick your next book? Like, um, do you go with friends or yeah, online? It depends. So if it's a book for that I want to read just for myself for pleasure, I usually go with recommendations from friends, um, from you or from one of my sisters or my mom. Your um, Goodreads community? My obviously. Goodreads community. My original <laughs> Goodreads community sustains me. Yeah. Um, and if it's something for my work, it actually recently has been coming out of my writing process. Okay. So as I'm writing, if I'm trying to, you know, make a particular argument or describe a particular historical moment, sometimes I realize, oh, I, I actually don't know what I'm talking about right now, or I don't have enough information here. And then I'll go and find a book right, that helps back. me fill that in. That's awesome. Um, okay. So what's sitting on your nightstand? I have a couple books sitting on my nightstand right now. Uh, one is Stamped from the Beginning. Mm which actually you gave to me. So good. It's so good. Yeah. And um, I have uh, – we were eight years in power sitting there. And I also have a book called Storyteller by Leslie Marmon Silco. It's a book actually of poetry and sto short stories, which is a little bit outside of my usual reading genre. Um, but it's uh, – Leslie Marmon Silco is a Laguna Pueblo woman, and she's sort of describing um, – the indigenous culture that she comes from and, and the way that storytelling is really central to their history and identity as a people. Awesome. So you said the poetry is outside of your normal? Yeah. 
So here's an, here's an interesting tidbit. Uh, when I met Sarah, we were in high school and Sarah was a poet, like a big time poet. Surprise. Yeah. She was like, she, I met her through another friend and we used to call her friends from her high school, like the poets. Like I was like, oh, you know, Sarah and the poets. So <laughs> it's interesting that you don't read it anymore. Or did you ever read it? You know, I don't think I ever read that much poetry. Um, there was a period in high school where I wrote a lot of poetry. It felt like a way for me to, you know, express myself and find right. myself and, and also be part of a community that you were describing. There was a, a lot of folks um, in my high school who were involved in the poetry slam scene. Um, but I don't, I don't think I read that much poetry then. I would go to poetry slams and, mm -hmm. and see people perform, which mm -hmm. is a very different experience than reading poetry. Um, and since then, I have sort of um, fallen out of that scene, you know, pretty yeah. entirely, <laughs> which yeah. I'm sad about sometimes. I, you know, hopefully find my way back to that. When you're done writing, like, yeah. no, like dissertations. Right. Um, okay. So this question is I'm the most excited to ask you about because Sarah has been someone who's recommended books to me for years. So Sarah, what's your go-to book recommendation? Yeah. Um, this one I love. Uh, this one is called An Indigenous People's History of the United States. It's by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really, I think, you know, easy to read retelling of American history, but it centers uh, the experience of Indigenous peoples in the U.S. and sort of retells the sort of classic, you know, uh, key moments of American history from the perspective of people who were sort of on the other side of those historical processes. And so it, for me, helps me to understand how, you know, throughout elementary school, middle school, high school, we're given a particular narrative of American history and what happened and who the big figures were and what was good and what was bad. And this book sort of turns that on its head and, and says, you know, a lot of these things that were good for the United States or for the American people were actually very bad for all kinds of indigenous peoples. Mm. Um, and it's a history that's a very long and complex history and can be told a million ways. But I think that this book does a good job of sort of synthesizing it into a way that if you are not familiar with any of that history, it's a good sort of starting point. Like 101. Yeah. I have to say the best book Sarah ever recommended me, and it's a book that I recommend people now. And it's like, one of my favorite books is Jesus Land oh, by Julia Shears. Yeah. She, it's it's an insanely amazing story. It's this woman's memoir. It's about her life growing up. She has two adopted black brothers and her parents are like super religious and it's like her crazy memoir. And that book led me to my one of my number one books ever, which is Julia Shearer's A Thousand Lives About Jonestown, which oh. is like, I am, you'll, you'll find out a lot about me. One of the things is that I'm obsessed with Jonestown, but her book about Jonestown, she like, I, every time I think about her, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad Sarah told me to read this book because nobody knows Jesus land. And I just, I freaking love it. Yeah. That is a really good one. So good. Everybody go read Jesus land. Yeah. I will post all of Sarah's social media that she doesn't use, and then you can harass her and thank her every single day for the rest of your life. Um, okay. Well, we kind of talked about this. You said a little bit that you avoid poetry, but also are there any genres that you really love that you lean into? For uh, pleasure, not for, for work. For pleasure, yeah. I do, I do love novels. Um, I do actually, I read a lot of nonfiction these days, but I do love a good story. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I like to read novels that are based in a particular, you know, 
geographic setting or particular historical moment or, you know, the experience of a particular, you know, racial or ethnic group. Like I don't like to read novels that sort of attempt to represent like a universal human experience. Right. And why is that? I don't know, because I I think it's untruthful. I think it's, I don't think that there is a universal experience. I don't. I think there are certainly commonalities, but given the world that we live in and the way that it's shaped by race, class, gender, sexuality, all of those things, I don't think that there is a universal human experience. And so for me, I need, when I read novels, I want them to be clear about like what experience they are representing. Right. Well, and that's the power that books have is that there's so many books because there's so many stories. So when someone tries to write a book that's about like, that fits everybody, it's kind of like, well, that's a waste of your time. Like, why don't you write about something small and make that small thing become big? Because those are the moments that like really stick with you, especially Mm -hmm. in novels. Mm -hmm. Like when something, it's like, like the Julia Shears book, it's like this teeny tiny one woman story about this very specific weird world, but it becomes like, everything. And it, I, I thought about that book forever. And it's kind of like a good, even though it's nonfiction, but right. I know, I hear what you're saying that like, why go big when you could just go like really small yeah. and like specific? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Um, how do you read? Ebook, audio, hard copy, paperback? Hard copy or paperback, all, but definitely not ebook. Definitely not ebook. I will listen to an audio book now and then, but it's usually a book that I'm not that interested in. <laughs> Okay. Or that I don't feel like I need to yeah. pay that close attention to. Me I don't too. process uh, information through my ears very well. As well, yeah. So, you know, if people are talking or lecturing, you know, like when I'm sitting right. in a lecture or listening to a podcast, podcasts actually are a little bit easier. Not this podcast. Not this this podcast. one is so good. So this it's one's fine. fantastic. <laughs> but generally speaking, um, yeah, I don't listen to things very yeah. well. So I like to have, um, I like to hold the book and I mm-hmm. like to flip the pages as I'm reading because then I feel like I can feel how far Progress. into the book I am. Yeah, Totally. And the most important question, this is this is the question that matters. Do you fold the pages or do Ugh. you use a bookmark? I use a bookmark. Thank you. Like a civilized person. Yes. I use a bookmark. I don't fold pages. I don't fold them in my own books and I certainly don't fold them in, in library, library books. library book. You guys, what's <laughs> happening with you? <laughs> People, if you're folding in library books, you need to call someone you love and apologize and just <laughs> to ask them, like, am, is some, am I having a midlife crisis? Like, what's going on? Um, <laughs> someone actually, when the first episode aired, sent me a message and said, please stop shaming me for folding <laughs> the book corners. And you know what? I will not. I will not until I've saved every book in this world. Uh, <laughs> um, do you write in your books? I didn't used to. Um, no, I do. do now. I don't write in the books I'm reading for pleasure because I just want to read them and right. enjoy them. But right. when I'm really trying to like process and, and absorb the information, I do write, but I do it in pencil and I do it very lightly. Thank you for respecting the books. Um, okay. Where do you read? What's your reading setup, like environment? Yeah. Um, I like it to be quiet. Okay. Um, so if I'm reading, you know, if I'm reading just for myself, my ideal sort of reading situation would be probably on a rainy day with a cup of tea and a mm. blanket sitting on the couch and some cozy jammies. jammies. That would be my ideal <laughs> pleasure reading setup. Um, but when I'm reading for work, I have like a whole setup at my desk where I have actually a stand that like holds my book open so that I can type, mm. you know, as I'm reading. So I take I type while I'm reading so I can take notes. Um, and so I have this really obnoxious and large, you know, it takes up a lot of space on my desk. Um, so <laughs> amazing. polar opposites, how I read when I'm working and when I'm reading for pleasure. 
Wow. Okay. Um, well, I feel like this question is going to be, well, I'll just ask it, but it seems silly to ask you. Um, what was a book that you read where you felt like you learned a lot and just pretend everyone like she doesn't read everyday books that teach her things. (laughs) That's funny. The answer that I had written down for that is actually, I already used, I didn't realize I had doubled up. I had written down the, uh, Grace Lee Boggs living for change, but I will follow that actually with another book by, uh, Grace Lee Boggs. Um, although I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh Uh-oh. It's okay. What's it about? Maybe I can Google it while you talk. Yeah. She wrote it very recently. It's, um, something about a revolution. Okay. Um, she, and I, I read it just after, um, just in the last year or so. And she is talking to social activists and sort of talking about what it will take, uh, her, her sort of view on what it will take, uh, in this, you know, in the sort of 2000s, you know, to, to create the changes that we're looking for in the world as we're trying to, you know, create justice around race and gender, class, sexuality. Um, you said it was written recently? Yeah. Does In the Love and Struggle sound familiar or The Next American Revolution? That's the one. The okay. Next American Revolution. Thank okay. goodness for Perfect. technology. Google. Um, that was a great book. <laughs> really wonderful. Okay. So it's called The Next American Revolution. Uh, and then this has a subtitle, Sustainable Activism, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Um, okay. And that sort of follows on what we talked about, about before. Her before. Yeah. Of like, how do you take you know, your knowledge, whatever it is, like whether you're an academic or not, you know, there's a lot of people who are not academics who have a ton of knowledge, but the point is, you know, her, what she's thinking about is how do you take what you know, what you're an expert on and and apply that. Yeah. yeah, That's amazing. I mean, and that is like why, for me, that's why I read. Like I want to learn stuff so that I can then approach the world in a new way and, you know, Yep. Make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. I'm Disneyland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are there any books you feel proud about having read? Yeah, I, I do have one. And it seems like odd, you know, in relation to all of the other books that I have talked about. It's very different. Um, I read Anna Karenina, mm. which I was really proud of myself for reading because it's very outside of what I usually read. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's major. And it's major. Yeah, it's huge. And that, I think, was the thing I was the most proud of, um, is that I actually finished it. Mm-hmm. And it was for fun. Right. You know, I read an incredibly long book because I felt like it. Right. Um, and it was an interesting story. So, yeah. That book is the book that I had in mind when I created the question. I was no like... No way. I, I mean, I've not read it. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, but... <laughs> But that's the book that I was like, oh, someone's going to say Anna Karenina or like, you know, what, like it was like that. And I think what Dallas said last week, which was, which was Crime and Punishment. I think like those were the two that I was like, oh yeah, those like major books or like maybe like Count of Monte Cristo. Like I, cause I feel like there is something about the size of a book mm-hmm. that makes you feel, you know, anybody can read a 200 page book, but like, are you really sticking it out for a thousand pages? Right. Like, are you about that life right. or no? How committed are you? <laughs> How committed are you to this story that was written a long time ago? Right. And that doesn't really feel relevant to my own life, mm-hmm. but I still read it. Right. So I feel proud That's of that. like reading peer pressure. <laughs> okay. What's a book that you're embarrassed that you've read and possibly maybe that you even enjoyed? Yeah. It's funny. You know, the book that came to mind for me was all of the Little House on the Prairie books, oh. which like I embarrassed isn't exactly the right word, mm-hmm. but I look at those books very differently now, now mm. that I am studying what I do right. and right. thinking about, you know, thinking about the sort of dispossession of indigenous lands and, you know, all these things. So 
I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but it is something where like I loved those books as a kid. Right. I really enjoyed reading them. And now looking back at it, I'm like, oh, there's something else going on in right. these books that is under the surface, but right. is very important and problematic. Problematic. Sure. Yeah. And it's not that I wish I hadn't read those books or that people shouldn't, you know, it's, right. I, it's not, I'm not saying that those are bad books, right. but I'm saying there's something that's missing. There's and a that new it, relationship you have with yeah. them after becoming an adult and understanding. Yes. That's how I feel about Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I love exactly. that book and I love that movie and I, my, it makes my stomach hurt every time I say it out loud, yep. but I love Scarlett O'Hara. I'm sorry. She's horrible and they had slaves and it's bad, <laughs> but like the red dress she wears when she goes to Ashley's birthday, like if you haven't seen the movie get it together and then talk to me about that freaking dress. But I totally feel that. Yeah. Okay. What's a book that you're in this? I bet this is a real one for you. What's a book that you're embarrassed that you've never read? Yeah. I am embarrassed that I've never read anything by Octavia Butler, Ooh. which I really want to. Yeah. Um, do it. Yeah. I, I just to. read Kindred like two months ago. Mm. It's like good. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> I feel like the, you know, she's one of those authors that everyone talks about yeah. and like everyone's read and I have not. And I've read a lot, so I should have. It's good. Yeah. No, that's that's a good one. Um, okay. What's a favorite book from your childhood? Not uh, Anna the Green Gables or whatever you said. Little <laughs> House on the Prairie. Are they the similar. same? Yeah. They might be. I'm, they might be the same. Never read any of them. Um, a book from my childhood that I love is a book called Seed Folks by mm -hmm. Paul Fleischman. Um, it's a pretty slim book. It's a, you know, uh, short stories, I guess, but they're all woven together. They're told by, I think, 12 or 13 different people who live in this neighborhood where a sort of empty lot is being turned into a community garden. And each of these people tells, you know, a little bit of the story as they walk by every day and see this garden coming into being or as they look out their window and see it. Um, and they're all people from different sort of racial and ethnic backgrounds. And it's just a beautiful little story that I actually just read a month or two ago. I go back to it and read it fairly often because it's, you know, like 50 pages and I can read it quickly, but it, it's nice. Gives you good vibes. It does. Yeah. That's nice. Okay. What's a book um, that you've read that you would love to see turned into a movie or a TV show or a limited series on Netflix or whatever? Yeah. Um, I just last year, I think actually you recommended to me or no, my sister, my sister, Katie, good from Goodreads, Club. <laughs> she recommended Homegoing to oh, me, yeah. which I loved. And I would love to see that as a movie, preferably with Ava DuVernay as the director. Okay. Um, but I think it's a beautiful story and I could, I can picture how it would become a movie, right? Yeah. How you could trace these different uh, sort of family lineages and draw yeah. the connections between them and you could have it could just be like a black excellence film yes. too because yes. there's so many characters right. yeah okay ava ava have your people call our people yeah we'll work on it together okay and then here we go if you could recommend <laughs> one book to the current president to yeah. read what would it be I would recommend um, a book by W.E.B. Du Bois, Black Reconstruction in America. Mm. Um, I would recommend this to the president, and I would actually recommend this to all Americans at this point. Okay. I think it really – so this book looks at um, the Reconstruction era, which is the years following the Civil War. And this was a time when, right, slavery had just been abolished, and there was this period of a few years, less than 10 years, where um, – the federal government and state governments actually tried to um, put in place laws that would make racial democracy a real thing. Um, and it was a sort of, you know, historians write about it now as this very sort of hopeful period. 
Um, but within 10 years, there was an enormous backlash to those efforts to sort of uh, protect and ensure the rights of uh, formerly enslaved people, African-American people. And that is when actually Jim Crow starts to rise out of the mm -hmm. end of Reconstruction. And so I think there are some really serious parallels to what is happening uh, right now. And I think it sort of gives some historical context, even though, you know, it's happening in a, you know, a much different sort of historical era than we are in now. I think there are some really important lessons in that book about uh, what, you know, how the dynamics of race work in the United States. And I think it is for me really helpful in understanding why it seems to be that as we have progress towards, you know, racial equality, we also have these, um, steps backwards. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. I think that that's a really important book and it's not an easy one. It's also very long. So um, he might struggle. He might struggle. It's fine. We'll help you. Yeah. There's, I'm sure there's Cliff's notes out there yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Get an aid. Um, okay. So this is something that I'm adding to the mix because, um, there's this great place on the internet. It's called bookstagram and it's Instagram, but it's all about books. So if you know about bookstagram, you know, it's like the most wonderful corner of the internet. And if you don't know, just like look up the hashtag bookstagram. Here's the thing about bookstagram. There's all these amazing books. A lot of books get a lot of play. So a book like Homegoing, all over bookstagram. But there's a billion, quadrillion books, and I wanted to start something that would get people talking about books. So this is kind of like a little rapid fire thing. We're calling it hashtag diversifive books. So you're giving me five books. I'll give you each prompt. Okay. You give me the five books. Great. First prompt. What's a book that you love from before you were on social media? Um, there, I would say Their Eyes Were Watching God by mm. Zora Neale Hurston. Amazing. Okay. A book you love by a person of a different ethnicity than you. Okay. I'm going to say a book called Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis. Ooh, yes, Angela Davis. Um, a book you're looking forward to reading by or about people of color. Uh, there's a book called All Our Relations that I really am looking forward to reading. And who, Do you know who it's by? I'm blanking on okay. her name. I think it's Winona LaDuke, but I'm I'll, not positive. It'll be on the show notes. Um, a book you love that you rarely hear people talk about. Zaytoon by Dave Eggers. Oh, yes. I love that book. Um, a book you loved from a genre that you don't normally read and then whatever the genre is. Yeah. So um, this is a book of poetry. Okay. As I said, I don't read enough of that. Um, and it's called From Unincorporated Territory by Craig Santos Perez. Okay. Awesome. All right. So that's going to wrap it up today. Do you have anything else that you wanted to say before we go? Um, just that I think... I want to just, you know, sort of point to the fact that reading has been a way for me to sort of understand myself and mm -hmm. understand myself in relation to the world and to other people in the world and a way to, like you were saying, like learn the stories, right? Learn about the world so that we can be in better relations with other people in the world. Right. Um, so I think that as much as reading is sort of a pleasurable activity for me, it's also something that is deeply political in a right. way, right? Like I have a a commitment to reading because I have a commitment to trying to live in a better way. Right. So that's yeah. amazing. I love that. And connect with people and yeah. relate to people and all of that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Actually, that's a, per that's a perfect segue, Sarah. So next week, Sarah and I will be back and we'll be talking about Men We Reaped by Jessamine Ward. Um, it's her memoir about a very short period of time in her life, uh, 2000, and 2000 to 2004, and also in general, a memoir about her whole life. And it's really beautifully crafted. And that's our Stacks book club pick for April 25th. So we'll be back on April 25th. We'll be talking about the book. Uh, not to give anything away, 
I died for this book. I thought it was absolutely unbelievably amazing. And when we're talking about these really specific stories that can make that can feel huge and all encompassing. For me, this book was that. So I'm very excited to talk about it next week. Again, Men We Reaped by Jessamyn Ward. Um, she won the National Book Award actually twice, once for her book, um, Salvage the Bones, which came out, I want to say like 2011. And then once again last year for her book, Sing Unburied Sing. So she's a prolific um, fiction writer and this is her memoir and it's amazing and delicious and we're going to dive into it in a big way next week. So make sure you're here um, and that you read it and it's short and it's good. Sarah, thank you so much for being here and we will see you all in the stacks. That's all for today's episode of The Stacks. Sarah and I will be back next Wednesday to discuss Jessamyn Ward's Men We Reaped. Also remember, everything we discussed today can be found in the show notes. Please make sure that you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do listen to us through iTunes, please rate and review. It goes a long way. You can find out more information about The Stacks by going to our website, www.thestackspodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Stacks Pod. I want to say a special thank you to Sarah Fong, Shane Clark, Robin McCrite, and Jake Casey. Our theme music is by Tagiragis, and the show is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.